Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Our Common Ground, Alternative Activist Empowerment Talk Radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven shall ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. police officers and I did not speak out because I was not a police officer. Then they came for firefighters and I did not speak out because I was not a firefighter. Then they came for the state highway patrol and I did not speak out because I was not a highway patrol officer. Then they came for teachers and I did not speak out because I was not a teacher. And then they came for nurses and I did not speak out because I was not a nurse. And then they came for our administrative assistants, our bus drivers, our child care workers, our computer operators, our correction officers, our custodial workers, our customer service assistants, our electricians, our equipment operators, our food service workers. How about our highway maintenance workers, our hospital aides, our industry safety inspectors, our insurance examiners, our investigators, our janitors, our laborers, our law clerks, our library associates, our liquor control chemists, our livestock inspectors, our locksmiths, our mail clerks, our maintenance inspectors, our maintenance repair workers, our meat inspectors, our mental health 
administrators, our mine safety inspectors, our minority business operators, our paramedics, our park rangers, our probation officers, our psychiatric attendants, our radio dispatchers, our recreation aides, our safety and health compliance inspectors, our sanitation workers, our secretaries, our security officers, our social service aides, our state accountants, our therapeutic program workers, our traffic analysis, our underground storage tank inspectors, our wildlife area coordinators. They came for them, but I was not any of those, and I did not speak, but when they came for me, there was no one left. We cannot go back, and we won't go back. Dr. King said that the arc of moral justice is long, but it bends towards justice. Senate Bill 5 is unjust. Senate Bill 5 is un-American, and Senate Bill 5 is plain out wrong. The arc of justice will bend towards what is right, what is good, and what is just, and I urge the defeat of this un-American, unpatriotic, and unjust bill, Senate Bill 5. Freedom is not always free. And even though I, I know that we never dreamed that we would live at a time where we would have to refight these battles, this is our moment to stand. Women are not children. We know what is in our own best interest, and we should have the right to make our own decisions. We don't need a permission slip from government to tell us what to do and how to do it. It is morally wrong. Talk about what cannot be done. We need to stand arm in arm with the people who have decided what can be done, what should be done. We do hold these truths to be self-evident. They're all men and women are endowed by their creator. That all women and men have a right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And that doesn't stop because a few right-wing men have decided not to honor the fundamental principles of liberty and justice for all. In these United States of America, we are not going back. I believe that the Creator has given us two hands, one to reach forward and one to reach back. One to reach forward and one to reach back, lifting as we climb. We are our brothers and sisters' keepers. And what happens to one directly, Dr. King said, affects us all indirectly. We can't ask other folks to do more for us than we are willing to do for ourselves. Hard work and determination pays off, and we will keep the faith, and we will keep the fight. And then lastly, in the words of my grandmother, who, if she was here today, would be in the audience with you. Whenever I ask Grandma, what does it take to be successful? What does it take to stand strong? My sister, three bones. She said, my dear granddaughter, all you need are the three bones. The wishbone, the jawbone, <laughs> and the backbone.
important bone of them all is the backbone. Because it will keep us standing through trials and tribulations and haters. And ladies, we must stand strong and answer the clarion call of our consciousness about what type of America we want to live in. Tonight on Our Common Ground, we are honored to have with us Ohio State Senator Minority Whip Nina Turner. As an elected official, she has not only been a fine legislator with outstanding initiatives, she has been an advocate for labor, for women, and for poor and working families throughout Ohio. Her model is a standard with distinction and exceptional hard work for the nation. She walks in the steps of those who came before her. Barbara Jordan, Shirley Chisholm, Betty Shabazz, Fannie Lou Hamer, Asada Shakur, Angela Davis, Ida B. Wells, and so many others who served us well. I have come to call her the Three Bones Warrior. Thank you for being with us on Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. With Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Because if you are born in America with a black face, you are born in America. Good evening, and thank you for being with us here on Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, your host, and we're pleased to have you. We hope that you are enjoying this very uh, first weekend of the fall across America. Tonight our guest is Ohio State Senator and Minority Whip, Sister Nina Turner, speaking truth to power all through Ohio and setting the standard for elected officials across the country. She represents Cleveland and the 25th Senate District. She joined the Ohio State Senate in September 2008 after serving on Cleveland's City Council. She's outspoken advocate of the disenfranchised and underrepresented, and we are so very honored to have you, dear sister, Senator Nina Turner. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Sister Graham, so much. You are quite the the producer there. I, I love the Three Bones Warrior. I had to write that down. <laughs> I'm so three honored. Three Bones Warrior. So honored. <laughs> <laughs> we stand in salute every time we hear your voice uh, because your voice brings clarity to so many issues, and and it brings the spirit of what we must have as resistors of injustice in this country. How are you? Amen. I am mighty fine. Uh, God is on the throne, and he is working through people like you and like me and other folks of good consciousness across this country. So I am wonderful. And to have your voice on radio is such a blessing. You are a powerful and gifted woman, Sister Graham. Thank you. And I am just so very, very uh, enamored um, 
to have your voice ring throughout America. And it really has, Nina. It mm. really has for for the I mean, you have been pressing as as our good friend at Spirit House uh project in Atlanta, uh ex uh SNCC leader would say you've been pressing the metal to democracy. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but you know, and, and you've been and you've been victorious. Uh and and that is something that I think that slips through so many elected officials. One of the things our audience is so uh interested in and anticipate uh, for me to bring to them is getting a sense of where you found your charge mm. as wow. a public servant. Uh, in the in the people, you know, I was uh, raised in. Uh, I had very humble beginnings. I am part of that forty-seven percent that Governor Romney just uh, wrote off. But um, <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah, uh, most of us are. Just a deep seated connection with God and a sense of who I am and what my purpose is. You know, being an elected office is a blessing, but it's the people's power. It's not my power, and I have it temporarily, and it's my moral obligation to wield it in such a way that people's lives are a lot better. So it's not enough just to have a fancy title. It's what you're going to do with it that matters the most. And so I am driven by that every single day. I make no uh, apology, Sister Graham, that I am rooted in spirituality, that I believe in a God, I believe that Jesus Christ is his son, and I thank God every single day that I am allowed to use my gifts to make the lives of the people that I serve better and to speak truth to power. That is my job. So I don't believe in comfort and convenience. I'm going to do what Malcolm X said, and that's, that is I am for what is right, no matter who it is for or who it is against, and I try to live my life like that every day. And, you know, uh, many of us, you began your political career as uh, as a chief of staff for Mayor uh, Michael White yes. in Cleveland. Yes. Who were some of your models? And I, I can hear... I can hear Mama speaking, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, Mama is speaking, and uh, I'm sure you're up on, on my bio, but just so your listeners know, you know, my mom died at the age of 42 years old, so when I say I'm part of the 47%, I really mean that. And, you know, she, she did not live to see her oldest daughter uh, graduate. I'm a first-generation college graduate. She didn't see me earn an associate's, a bachelor's, or a master's. She didn't live to see her eldest daughter sworn in to the Cleveland City Council and then sworn in to be an Ohio senator. But because her blood flows through my veins and the blood of other women who have sacrificed, some women great and some not so great, I know every day that I get up that I look in the mirror and that it is my job to stand up and to speak out for those who may not have a voice, and that is the 47%. So my mother was a great um, impact on my life, and I know she's in heaven saying, you go, girl, you've made me proud. But I do know that stress can take you out of here. I know what it's like to live in a single mama household. My parents got married as teenagers. It just did not work out. And there are seven of us. I know what it's like not to have food and, and not a roof over your head. And my grandmother was that solid rock, born in 1913, and she is really the wind beneath my wings. She was a strong warrior woman. And I tell her story every single place that I go, and it is because of women like her and the women that you named that I am just honored to even be mentioned in the same breath with a Barbara Jordan or Ida B. Wells. 
um, it is those warrior women that I remember and that I draw upon every single day that I go into the battle to make this world a better place for all people. Well, I certainly want to join uh, your ancestor mother and your Mm -hmm. wonderful grandmother in the theme that you have done well, girl. You have just done well. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Graham. And Grandma um, died uh, four months after Mom, so that was a hard year for me that year. God was trying yeah, to tell me yeah. something. But, uh, you know, he never puts more on you than you can bear, but I carry both of their spirits with me every day. Well, y- y- you know, in your work, you can see that. You started off your career, and one of the things that you championed the children um yeah. And 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 now you're fighting the battle for women and and their reproductive rights. Yes. But did when, when you were in uh, when you were elected to represent Ward One uh, on Cleveland City Council, did you ever suspect that the political climate would come to where we are right now, especially in Ohio and in this country? and in the era of our first African-American president? Not at all. You know, our foremothers and forefathers have fought many battles in this country of all ethnicities to make this, you know, in the president's words, a more perfect union, but the founding fathers said it first. No, uh, Sister Graham, never did I think that I would live, that we would have to fight some of the same battles to secure workers' rights so that people can make a decent living and be able to support their families to fight for women's rights. And this is not about being pro-abortion. I don't know anybody that's pro-abortion, but I know an awful lot of people who are pro-choice. And not just abortion. I mean, some of the bills that have been passed across this country and in legislatures and on the state level, even try to prohibit a woman from even getting access to birth control pills. I mean, we are really going backwards. And, my God, never did I think I would live to have to fight against voter suppression. But here we are. And I think that this is a reminder that every generation has to do its part to make this world and this nation a better place. And freedom is not free. We have to continue to fight for freedom and level the playing field and to stand up and speak out where we see wrong and injustice. And wrong and injustice is in the land, but I believe that good people standing up for justice and righteousness and truth can turn this thing around. Well, you're absolutely right, and history has shown that it can. Mm-hmm. In the In the meantime... One of the things that I become very concerned about mm-hmm. are the witnesses. Our children are witnesses mm. to the evil and the vitriol yes. that is occurring uh, in our country. And I know as a mother, um, you must have some idea about what the children in this nation, mm-hmm. and 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 you think that while we have worked on millions and millions of dollars of educational initiatives yes. um, and to improve the, the the path to their future, mm-hmm. what this does. As a mother, what, what's, your, what's your sense of that? I mean, it's, it's painful. And I work with young people all the time. I mean, not only am I a state senator, but I'm also a college professor as well at Cuyahoga Community College. And I see young people on a regular basis. And this has uh, been awfully hard for them, both uh, very young people and also 
uh, college-age young people who are just trying to find their way and how they are discouraged by folks who I call grown-grown, who cannot even get along for enough time to do what is in the best interest of people. But I always have encouragement, even though I know that we're going through something in this country, that we're going to turn it around. It is our obligation, like our four mothers and forefathers, is to blaze a path for them that was better than ours. And we need to get back to the business of securing the future. You know, a lot of young people are saddled by debt, Sister Graham. I mean, the latest report shows that those young people are going to college leave in collectively with a trillion dollars worth of debt. Here they are going to college, working on their measure of the American dream, doing what is right, and we don't have enough jobs out here for them. We need a Congress that understands that. And this current Congress, many of them, mainly the Republicans, not the Democrats, have been standing in the way of a lot of progress that the president is trying to put forward to 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 change things, to make it better. You know, when he was sworn into office, this economy was bleeding jobs by the hundreds of thousands, and the president had to come in and try to regulate, to try to hold us steady, and to have folks in Congress who didn't care, even if they sent us over the, uh, over the fiscal cliff, they didn't care about future generations. They don't care about average, everyday citizens in this country. So I think the president has done a wonderful job of setting us back on the path, but there is absolutely more work to do. And so when I look in the eyes of young people, I want to be able to speak into them hope, but I also want to use my position of authority to make sure that we pass policies in the state of Ohio and also in this country where they will have an opportunity to live their measure of the American dream. And so we got to make sure that we get them educated and we got to make sure we get them employed. Mm-hmm. You fought such a valiant fight on SB5 in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have been talking about at Our Common Ground Mm -hmm. is the notion of Ohio being an attack state by Mm -hmm. the GOP and the Tea Party. Yes. And their first point of attack was labor. Mm -hmm. Where is that now? Well, you know, overwhelmingly, Sister Graham, in the state of Ohio, Republican, Democrat, Independent, uh, we have 88 counties, and most of those 88 counties, I think only six counties, voted in favor of what became Issue 2 on the ballot, but it was Senate Bill 5, and we were fighting it through the General Assembly. So the people spoke loudly. Uh, It was defeated by over 60%, and so the folks let it be known to the Republican leaders in the state that we believe that workers should have collective bargaining rights, so that is solid. But there is a movement afoot, and they didn't do it this year because of the fallout of Senate Bill 5, Issue 2, but I believe that they're going to rear their ugly heads next year and try to make Ohio a right-to-work state. So, again, our our work is never done. We have got to continue to always be on watch. You know how some of the elders say watch as well as pray, and we got to watch as well as pray and put some sweat equity behind our efforts. So for now it is over, but uh, there is a group out there that is forming who has de- who have declared that they're going to stop at nothing to make Ohio a right-to-work state, but we'll be waiting right here for them and, and, and uh, making sure that we continue to fight for workers' rights in the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And even even with uh, with that, and I suspect, and I absolutely agree with you, I, I think the game is not up yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ohio is so pivotal yeah. in this whole, the landscape of, uh, the changes that have taken place, and 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 I predict 
will take place in mm-hmm. terms of the American culture of union and labor and government. Yes. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you was whether or not uh, there have been any coalitions uh, developed and is there a model going on so that Ohio can offer uh, to the nation about how you organize mm-hmm. to combat mm-hmm. this attack on 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 labor and working people. I think Ohio has. I mean, we you know a group formed called We Are Ohio, and that group is still in formation and and ready and watching uh, to make sure that they stand in the ready position. You know, there's an African proverb that says that one should not build their shield on the battlefield. Well, it is shield building time. For those who believe that everyday Americans who work hard should have some right, and you know, not only just live a decent life, folks should be able to live a good life. They should be able to take a vacation. They should be able to buy a new car. They should be able to send their their children to college. They should be able to go on a vacation. But we have some folks in power who don't want everyday average Americans to be able to do that. So we are Ohio is in place, and we have some other progressive uh, liberal groups that stand in the ready position to unite and fight. So I don't know if we have a model necessarily as much as we have people who are ready, willing, and able because of what we went through to fight back against Senate Bill 5, Issue 2. And Ohio, I I agree with you, Sister Brown, we will continue. We are a strong swing state on many issues. Um, Unlike Wisconsin, we have the power of referendum so that people can go in and collect the requisite signatures and, and, and voice their opinion at the ballot box about what elected officials do. And so for that, it makes us a stronger state and that people can fight against that. In Wisconsin, they did not have power of referenda, and that's why Governor Scott Walker was able to do what he did. But Ohio is, is standing strong. Well, I think that if there is any model that's going to come about, it's going to be in mm-hmm. Ohio, and we're all going to be watching Yes, ma'am. What you do in Ohio uh, as a template mm-hmm. uh, for what has to happen. But one of the things that is increasingly a concern of mine as I get older <laughs> is, is this whole notion of we don't pay attention until a crisis erupts. Yes. And I think that that is going to have to be one of the benchmarks. Mm-hmm. For organizing, that you cannot organize an uninformed constituency. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, it goes back to the African proverb, one should not build their shield on the battlefield. And what you're saying is that we should always be in shield-building mode so that we're ready for any battle that comes at us, right? It's hard to always be on the defensive. We have to be on the offense. So I, I totally agree with you. Now, let, let's move into the, the area of women's reproductive rights, not only in Ohio, because, um, I mean, you you and your colleagues in the Ohio Senate have really been not only defenders of women's pr- reproductive rights, but you have been advocates and you have become a steel wall on the issue. Yeah. How did all of that start out in Ohio? Well, you know, just even Ohio and across this country, Sister Graham, I hate to say it, there have been primarily men 
who have decided that they want to control what happens to a woman to a woman's body and just in 2011 alone 1100 measures 1100 measures were introduced in state legislatures across this country uh, dealing with a woman's uh, reproductive health. And so here in Ohio, and, and particularly my bill, Senate Bill 307, you know, I decided that we were sick and tired, as as, uh, as Fannie Lou Hamer said, uh, uh, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I decided that I was going to fight back, that if men, uh, being the greater sex, uh, had decided that it's more important to focus in on a woman's reproductive health and or her right to abortion or not to have an abortion, I decided we need to show men a little love as well. And so what my bill does is deal with erectile dysfunction, uh, mandating that a man uh, undergo a psychological analysis to make sure that his concern is is, is mental and, and not physical. Uh, he would have to have an affidavit signed by his partner affirming the fact that he has erectile dysfunction. Would Wait a minute. Have... Well, I just have to stop you. When 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 that hit, when, when that hit, I fell out dying laughing. Yes, ma'am. That's the way to go. You, yeah. I mean, you had a you-go sister for me. I mean, I thought that was not hilarious. Yeah. yeah. But it was the most effective defense mm-hmm. against this move. Mhm. I mean, because, you know, the men who introduce these types of bills have uh, really painted women as weak and fragile, as if we can't make a decision about our body without uh, government. And, you know, and it's this very same party that talks about personal liberty, but that liberty stops when it comes to a woman's right to choose and or her right to have access to contraception. So, again, I wanted to show men a little love as well and let them know that there are some female elected officials who are going to watch out for a man's reproductive health uh, just the same. And and another portion of this bill, you know, for them to take a cardiac stress test every uh, 90 days as long as they are taking the medication because there are some side effects to this medicine. I want to make sure that they understand what they're doing and, and, and for them to have to ask permission from government to do what they think is in their best interest. But the most important part is that their medical doctor would have to counsel them about other remedies that are available, including uh, natural remedies and celibacy. That will clear up erectile dysfunction just fine. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, Sister Graham, a lot of men, you know, from all over the country have uh, written me or, or a phone call, emails, just to say, Thank you so much for standing up for the women in our lives. And they get it. They get the one-sided nature of this. And there were women all across the country. I mean, there was State Representative Stacey Newman from Missouri who decided uh, she introduced a measure that a vasectomy would only be performed to avert the death of a man uh, to, to you know, or serious risk of physical impairment. Otherwise, he could not get one. Uh, we have Sister Senator Constance Johnson in Oklahoma who uh, introduced a bill that, that said that a man could not uh, ejaculate any other way, any other place except for a woman's uh, vagina. And we have uh, State Representative Yasmin Neal of Georgia who said that thousands of children are being deprived of birth in this state every year because of the lack of state regulation over vasectomies. So we have some sister legislators all across the country who got it and who stood strong in very creative ways to say to, to the men who 
dare to introduce bills like this. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough. And how do you like women trying to regulate your reproductive health? You know, Sister Graham, we should have been spending that energy working on issues that lift people. But instead, we have to fight for a woman's right to control her own body. And not only did men reach out to me, but I had so many women, especially our older sisters who went through the battle to fight for women to have access. Uh, One woman shared with me that she had to, to get her tubes tied, she had to get permission from her husband. He had to sign a permission slip. Mm -hmm. He had to sign a form for her to get her tubes tied. I had another woman share a story about how she did indeed get one of those back alley abortions because she felt it was in her best interest, and she was physically scarred. And even though she's physically scarred, she said if she had it to do all over again, she would do it. But she doesn't want today's young women to have to go through that. And, see, these Republicans, they think they're slick. What they're doing is that they can't overturn Roe v. Wade directly. They're doing it indirectly through state legislatures all across this country. And that's why I want the citizens to to wake up and to come alive because people can only do to us what we allow them to do. And this is about liberty. This is what this is about, a control of one's own body. And if we come from that vantage point, I think we would have more agreement about these issues and not less agreement. You know, and one of the things, you know, we haven't even begun to talk about the attack on on, on Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. and the, yes. the kinds of services that Planned Parenthood provides. You know, at my at my age mm-hmm. and when I was a young woman, mm-hmm. uh, abortion was illegal. Yes. So um, I understand exactly what what you. Uh, what you were getting to, you and your legislative colleagues um, were, were getting to, and the kind of promise mm-hmm. that the women's movement and its struggle for freedom for women mm-hmm. um, were having to um, having to endure mm-hmm. in watching this entire scenario, but on a more in, more detailed area is I I believe that we have to also take this fight to the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. And that's what the President's, you know, Affordable Care Act does. Absolutely. I mean, women pay. And, you know, everybody has a woman in their life, I would like to hope, that they love, that they care about. Women pay more for health care insurance than men. And why is that? It doesn't make sense. Again, discriminatory uh, actions and regulations against women. And the president has pulled back the veil. And the Affordable Care Act says you cannot charge someone with the XX chromosome for insurance care more more than, than, than our counterparts with the XY chromosome. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And when you talk about Planned Parenthood, yes, right here in the state of Ohio, they tried to defund it, and we did fight back, and we've held them off so far. But I believe, again, that is a fight that we are going to have to continue. And Planned Parenthood, 97% of what they do is preventative, and they help working and middle-class women be able to get preventative care. These are mothers. These are sisters. These are wives. These are aunts. These are grandmothers. And we should care enough about the women in our lives to say that they have rights, and that most fundamental right is to be able to control your body, to be able to have a conversation with your doctor, and whatever you decide to do is between you, God, and your doctor, and it shouldn't be government dictating to you what you can and cannot do with your body. And, and it, it, it certainly shows the hypocrisy yes, ma'am. of 
those who would tend to uh, make an effort to buy our government. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, on one hand they tout the notion of smaller government, and yes. on the other hand, they support efforts for a more intrusive government. That's right. That's right. It's hypocrisy is what it is, and I'm hoping that the American people are seeing uh, some of these elected officials for who they really are. You know, uh, there's a scripture that says you will know the tree by the fruit that it bears, and so I'm hoping that folks are starting to see this and that their eyes are opening to uh, the hypocrisy of uh, some of the the elected officials uh, across the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and who would ever think, um, Senator Turner, that we would be in an atmosphere where people were free mm-hmm. to do two things, to talk openly with disdain about women yeah. given their electoral power, mm-hmm. that they would talk with disdain, confusion, and craziness, I mean, just loony, loony tune stuff yeah. on the issue of rape yes. and, the, and the issue of a woman facing a life or death situation based on medical care right. that only she should decide. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been totally... Uh, sometimes put out, mm-hmm. just totally put out by what, where did this come from, and how did this come, how did this come about? Mm-hmm. And the only conclusion I can make is that working people, poor people, and minorities are having an effect on the voice of government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by that, I don't just mean they have this vitriol disease against this, that that makes them crazy about this African-American president, but it makes them have a disease that causes them to be crazy about the changes that America is naturally taking and has been taking over time. It's like they woke up <laughs> and decided, oh, my God, what happened? I want my 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 America back. Right, and those are cold words for that, and you are absolutely right, and we, we need to continue to have strong and frank discussions about this uh, in this country. Anytime you have such disrespect, being directed at our president. You know, there used to be a time where you at least respected the office. You know, I didn't agree with everything that President Bush uh, set out to do, but I have enough respect for the office. But the disdain that some folks in this country are showing for our pro our president, and it has very dilute, very little to do with their uh, dislike with his policies and a lot to do with the color of his skin, and it does not make a whole lot of sense. You know, in Montana, the Republicans had a convention a couple of months ago where someone erected an outhouse uh, riddled with bullet holes painted on the outside of it, and they called it the Obama uh, Presidential Library. And on the inside, you could see a mock-up of his birth certificate. Um, There were words on the walls for a good time called Michelle, Hillary, uh, Pelosi. You know, just such disrespect. The level of racial 
uh, hate that has been directed towards this president, the level of dis- disrespect from a member, you know, from a member of a Congress uh, yelling out when the president mm-hmm. is having a State of the Union, you lie um, to folks not addressing him as President. Obama. I mean, you name it, they have gone through it. And again, a lot of this has a lot to do with his ethnicity, and it is a shame. We still have a lot of more, we have many more miles to travel in this country to deal with race. And you're absolutely right. Some of these folks, particularly elected officials, have lost their ever loving minds, and they can no longer contain themselves. And so they are showing us who they really are. And I've said before, some of these folks are wearing a blue suit over a white sheet, but make no mistake about it, some of their tactics are reminiscent of the Klan, some of their tactics of intimidation, especially when it comes to voter suppression in the 21st century, are the same tactics that were used against our foremothers and our forefathers in in terms of trying to stop them from voting. And we have to take this stuff seriously. Now, in no way am I saying that Everybody who disagrees with the president is a racist. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is that when we examine some of the evidence and some of the ways that people act and respond to him and some of the racist comments and remarks that have been directed towards him and and the first lady, we have got to come to a conclusion here that some of this some of this has to do with race, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He deserves respect because he is the president of the United States, and we should respect the office whether we agree with him or not. And I would say that about any president that is in office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the, there's another uh, character about that kind of discourse and mm-hmm. that kind of disrespect, uh, and it it it. it and that is, in my mind, that when they speak of the President of the United States, they are also speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, uh, I charge and challenge our own communities. I charge and challenge the women who would dare to support a Mitt Romney ticket. I dare those uh African-Americans, Latinos, uh, Native Americans who support the GOP. I dare and challenge people who sit at home and listen to talk radio and talk back at the radio and do nothing Mm -hmm. because it will not change. It will not change unless we make it change. And, you know, the other thing, Senator Turner, is that this president made it very clear when he was campaigning for uh, the office and as he came into office that nothing will happen without the protests outside of the White House, mm-hmm. outside of the of the Congress, that we, the people, have to embrace our responsibilities as we, the people. And and the president made it clear, and, and you can look at some of the things that he has accomplished and that he is continuing to try to accomplish, that he does believe in his country. He believes in the power of the people. He is asking for shared sacrifice. He believes in building from the middle out and not the top down. And, you know, for some, and, 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 and let me be clear here, everybody who is wealthy is certainly not uh, evil, but there is a contingent of folks who have forgotten how they got over and, and that government 
has a role to play, and that role is a good role to play. Government is about service to people. It is about having policymakers in place who understand the role of government and who who are willing to wield the power of the people for the best interests of the people. And so the president is just really trying to make sure that everybody understands that and everybody has a fighting chance. He is a good man. He works extremely hard. He loves this country, and it's not just about the 47%. He really does care about the 100%, but he knows that we must provide balance in the universe. So, again, I'm asking your listeners, just as you have laid out, Sister Graham, that they need to examine people and know and, and by what they do and what they say. When you got folks who want to implement policies that put more burdens on the backs of poor and working and middle class families than they want to on millionaires and billionaires, something is wrong with that. When you have wealthy people who pay less in taxes percentage wise than um than poor people and working class people Something is wrong. When we live in a society where the average wage is shrinking, meanwhile those who are in the top 1%, top 2%, top 5% are continuing to build wealth, while 95% of us are stagnant or losing, something is wrong with that. And so we need to have a conversation about that. And I think President Clinton laid it out during the convention when he asked the question, what kind of America do we want to live in? This is a choice election, and the power is in the hands of the people. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind you that you asked that question way before President Bill Clinton did. <laughs> Thank you for that, Ms. Graham. I did. And, and I just wasn't doing it at the DNC, but you're absolutely right. I did. You know, and I was really surprised, and I was really kind of angry yeah. because you are really on my top five Shiro list. <laughs> And I was really kind of ticked off that you weren't a keynote speaker at the Democratic National Committee, and I wrote them and told them that. Oh, thank you, Sister Graham. I appreciate that. But for the most people will not know, do not know that you have been a, a champion of change in your community for a very long time and that you have been included in the Power 100 Northeast Ohio's Most Influential People by Inside Magazine for the past three years. And what I want to get from you tonight is you grew up in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were educated there. As a leader, what about your growing up in Cleveland informs your leadership? Oh, wow, that is a deep question. You know, Cleveland is a comeback city. We are, I I mean, Cleveland is just wonderful. I really don't see myself living any other place unless God directs me to. I just really love our city. And I was fortunate that even though, you know, my parents, their their marriage didn't work out and I grew up primarily in a single-parent home, that, that my grandmother, I keep going back to her and her rugged determination, someone who could not read or write, but she was determined in how she planted the seeds of greatness in her grandchildren. And she would often tell us to be the best. And she said, if you can't be the best, be next to the best, be so close to the best that nobody could tell the difference. And whenever we would doubt our abilities to be the best, she would take a mirror from her 
and place it in front of our faces. And she said, every time you look in this mirror, you see best. So I reflect on that. I reflect on a community that was tight-knit, that, you know, Ms. Johnson could say something to you if you were acting up, and you knew that if you weren't, in my grandmother's word, words acting like you had some sense, you were going to get it. And one of the things that pains me so right now for this generation, especially uh, children who grow up in in, in socially and, and economically challenged communities and households, that they don't have the Miss Johnson or the Mr. Jones on the porch looking out for them as they walk up and down the street. They don't have that communal link to what it means to be a child that is loved and chastised by a community because we are so fractured and violent. Because it really means that the community has expectations for each child. That's right. And we got to get back to that. So that's what I had. That's what Cleveland gave me. And so even though I grew up in poverty, um, you know, there were still the communal ties were still there. And that is what is missing in the 21st century in many of our communities, not because people don't want to, but that that community is is broken, and we got to rebuild, and and we we just have to rebuild. Mm-hmm. You know, as you as you describe that, one of the things that uh, I think about is our common ground. I'm Janice Graham, and when we come back, we'll be talking about this witness from the bridge, Ohio Senator Nina Turner, joining me tonight. Alpha of the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network. We'll be talking about witnesses from the bridge, sacrifice, commitment, being smart in building our communities, hard work, and dedication. This is our common ground. Our Common Ground, Alternative Activist Empowerment Talk Radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man means you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's it's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on auction blocks, put them in cotton fields. Put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God.
Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth, truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening once again, and thank you so much for being here with us at Our Common Ground. In our special series this month, Witnesses from the Bridge, and tonight at the beginning of the program you heard one of the witnesses on the bridge, Ohio Senator Nina Turner. In I, I just can't say enough about this woman and what she has done. In this series, we're emphasizing that these are women. Uh, last week we had with us the civil rights veteran and freedom warrior, Florence Tate. Uh, and tonight we're hearing from Nina Turner. And most of you know that I had expected that I would not be able to do a live broadcast tonight. Um However, uh, Mother Nature had another chance at providing me some much-needed standstill. Uh, We got more than a foot and a half of snow on one day and the next, another foot and a half of snow. We are now in the city of Boston, shoveled out. Thank you very much, Mayor Thomas Menino who at the core of his administration has been the snow must go immediately, and he has kept that pledge. And people within the city of Boston with every snowstorm can expect that within 24 hours the city is back in business. Joining me tonight is Alpha of the Alpha Show, and we're going to be talking about witnesses and the need for more witnesses. Good evening, Alpha. How are you? Well, good evening, Janice. How are you this evening? Well, thank you for joining uh, uh, me tonight. I joined you last night, and I want to apologize to you and your listeners because uh, I thought I was doing a technical break, and I guess not. (laughs) Um, But I did have a need to talk about Detroit with some people, my people. That's why we have our common ground not just common ground, but our common ground. And I I want people to understand the distinguishing differences that I have created over the last 28 years of broadcasting about what this broadcast is about. Alpha, uh, I know that you were with us when uh, Senator Turner was with us live. What's your impression of this woman? Let me say this. She basically walks in the same steps that I walk in. She's not afraid to tell people, tell everyone what they are doing. She she doesn't mince her words. She calls it like she sees it. She calls it what it is. Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of rich 
people who have simply thrown the middle class under the bus, thrown children under the bus, thrown the poor under the bus to protect welfare. And I call it welfare because as an oil company, anytime you're making billions of dollars a quarter, why do you need the millions of taxpayer dollars? She is the type of person who is not afraid to tell people that they're trying to not increase the uh, validity of the vote, but suppress your vote and steal an election. They're un-American, unpatriotic, and she's not afraid to say it. And that's what I like about her. She she, she brings it. She literally brings it each and every time I hear her speak. She's bringing it flat, straight to their face, and that's what I like about her. Well, it's real interesting that we haven't seen much of her on the national stage, and I'm concerned about that, and um, I think that it's time to call the DNC up on on that issue. Uh, since the since the election, um, we haven't heard a lot from her. She's doing, I, I posted in our chat room, and for those of you who'd like to join us in the chat room, please do. Um, we've got um, um, uh, our chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. But she has, um, she lifts issues. On the on the she lifted issues on the national stage that she is taking um, uh, on her platform in the state of of Ohio, and I just posted that uh, she um, has now introduced in the state of Ohio as both a an elected official and from her appointment to the Ohio Ballot Board, which is a panel that makes decisions about referendums and other ballot issues, she has um, really uh, introduced a new powerful uh, bill before the Ohio State Senate, a uh, new Vo- Voter Protection Act. And one of the things that, one of the reasons why I thought it was so important to bring her to our common ground is because she is such a model for other uh, elected officials who represent the poor, the disenfranchised, and especially our community. And I'm wondering why that has happened. Well, Dennis, when you have someone of her ilk who will call them out, you see, the Democrats are too wimpish. They're, they have, they hold this civility thing close to their chest while they're being inundated with being called communists. They're inundated with, you have the Ted Cruz's with absolutely nothing more than a blogger's joke, calling people unpatriotic. Someone with two purple hearts, a medal of valor, and the whole nine yards. It's okay for Republicans to attack war heroes and veterans, but let one Democrat do it. Let someone call out a John McCain. 
for the crashing of five planes and just the the facade of war hero. Mm-hmm. It'll be all over it, and that's what I. That's my reservation. But do you do you think that the Democrats have suppressed her? I think they absolutely, absolutely. And let me tell you who else you don't see. You don't see Alan Grayson that much anymore. And I think oh, yeah, I, I had almost forgotten he went back to the House. Exactly. I think it's a concerted effort by the Democratic Party not to to try. You see, our fringe, the people on our fringe are just the outspoken ones, the ones who are willing to tell the truth. Since when has the truth been on the fringe? Since when has the truth called for It's called radical. Alan Grayson, Nina Turner, and people of that ilk will call them out for exactly what they are doing. Their mm-hmm. feigned indignation, their, this, this pious whining that they like to do, and this, this point the finger at you while they're doing, and this, this projection that they do. You're, you're making a, 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 a very good point in the detail uh, which is why the Alpha Show is so successful, and that is that uh, the DNC is holding back their uh, the people who might speak truth to power from the media. But my question is, where are where is the progressive media, the the uh, current TV and the MSNBC people? Uh, and why aren't they calling on her? Because they're still calling on Bernie Sanders, because he has no party to hold him back. And that's some detail that we really, I think, should uh, shine some light on. Oh, not, well, see, here's my, here's my problem. With someone like Bernie Sanders, we know his independence. We know his socialist view. He's a, he's a, a professed socialist. I have no problem with that because the last survey I saw of the most of the best countries to live in, the top five were countries of socialism. What I saw, Janice, I saw a, um, I saw a, 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 an article where the minimum wage is fifty thousand dollars a year, and I'm trying to recall this article. I can't, I can't think of it right now, but. This is what they voted in. And I'm trying, I think it was in either Sweden or Switzerland, where they've declared, they've basically signed into the law that minimum wage is $50,000 a year. And that's a socialist country. So when you hear people whining and, 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 and these rich people who are making millions a year, profit, and all of a sudden increasing their payroll, their overhead, by by some millions. Well, yeah, some... You're, you're talking about Switzerland. Uh, they uh, voted to raise the minimum wage uh, in March, at the beginning of March, um, yeah. to raise the minimum wage to the U.S. equivalent of $50,000. Okay, but and they they also passed a referendum to increase CEO salaries from between thirty two to sixty eight percent, 
And they are also looking at another vote that would place a salary cap on CEOs to 12 times what the lowest paid employees make. If they want to raise, they have to give the whole company a proportionate raise. Now, that is true. Progress. I mean, if people, if, if, if people can understand what that means, and I'm going to uh, place a, um, a link to the information in our chat room, that, that is pro- true progressive. I'm glad you brought that up. Oh. Switzerland. Well, I also um, put a link in the chat room simply because this seems to escape these Democrats, these so-called Democrats, these rich people who are our elected officials, who you have to squeeze them and push their heads flat against the wall before you can get any type of progressive or liberal uh, thought out of them. When you get to a point, and like I said, I put the I put the uh, link in the chat room. It's a Nation of Change link, and it's a it's the Robert Reich uh, article where this is simple stuff, and this is and this is what I what this is what gets to me more than anything. These are the things that the American people voted for. This is what the this, he clearly has the American people on his side when this president shuns away from full just a full charge on things like the transaction tax for Wall Street. They're talking about one tenth of one percent. What damn? Why not a full three percent? Why not make sure that? Our states and our cities are funded. Why not make you? We spent over two or three decades cutting, 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 and the revenues are the the coffers are almost depleted to the point where our states are falling by the wayside, and our middle class are dying on the vine, and that's where we have a problem. This is no time for austerity. And the Republican Party is full of implementing austerity while pointing the finger at the president saying he's doing it. He wants to be like Europe. He wants to be like France or Germany. And this is where we miss the boat when we allow them to seize the narrative and the perception because all they're doing is projecting. And I'm just glad that Many people, with the help of the Republican Party, saw that in 2012. But if you think for one minute that they are not going to rig the Electoral College vote for 2016, something's wrong with you. And if you believe that in 2014, if this president doesn't stand fast and stand up against these bastards, that he will have some type of uh, enthusiastic electra in 2014, and they've gerrymandered the districts so strong. Where were the court challenges to these gerrymandered districts in 2010? They've basically diluted the minority vote in, in, in all of these big cities where 
they have big populations. And how is it that we're talking about uh, land? We're talking about uh, the, the districts according to the fewest people live in the districts that are that were gerrymandered. Yeah, yeah. Republican districts are just 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 paper thin with people. While the but let's, let, let, let's talk about using the model of Nina Turner as uh, as an, as an elected official. Are there others? I, I want to ask that question, and I want to apologize to 256 who hung up, who was calling in. For those of you who would like to join us in this discussion, I'm with Alpha of the Alpha Show tonight at Our Common Ground. In this second page, our number is 347-838-9852, 347-838-9852. When we come back, I'm going to take a break, uh, Alpha, and when we come back, Let's let's talk about the model that we need to be requiring. I mean, people go to the polls, and we're always, as as I've been saying for a number of, of years, we're always in the mode of not voting necessarily for someone, but voting against the rest of them. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we'll be right back. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. One of the things I want to point out is that we have to be very careful in our critical analysis of where we are and the issues in front of us, especially around public policy and government policies that affect us, continue to oppress us, that if we are going to transform and change the laws and the regulations under which we are governed, we have to ensure that we are filtering out those features of oppression. We cannot embrace oppressive forces and think that it is change. So why don't we begin by saying we're going to ask 10 fundamental questions. Don't go any further than 10. You know, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about your 10. why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, why is America not the greatest the great country in the world? Professor, that's my answer. You're saying... Yes. 
Let's talk about... Fine. Let's... Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. <laughs> we were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered, First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Enough? This is the Alpha Show, the best of political pushback on TrueWorks Network, each Friday, 10 p.m. Our society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste.
listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. And thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Joining me tonight is Alpha of the Alpha Show, and we have spent the first page at Our Common Ground tonight listening to uh, an extraordinary service elected official, Nina Turner. And one of the things before we went to break is to let you know that our Phone lines are open at 347-838-9852 if you'd like to join Alpha and I in a discussion about the kind of sacrifice, the kind of smart, the kind of commitment, hard work, and dedication that we should expect of our elected officials. Alpha, of this model with uh, Senator Turner, who do we have? Well, between... Uh, Senator Turner, Congressman Grayson, we have people like Bernie Sanders. We have, um, that's it. And when I say that's it, we have people who, you know, let me put it like this. It's not just enough to be a politician and to get along with your colleagues your friends across the aisle. When your friends across the aisle are doing are doing their best to eviscerate the middle class, to bring it into uh, public public schooling, public everything, and want to privatize. The difference between private and public is who feeds at the trough of tax dollars. And when you have people who are not willing to stand with their convictions. You see, Republicans say nasty things, and then they back it up by saying, I'm standing for my convictions. Democrats, won't, not only won't they stand for their convictions, but they won't say the truth, whether the truth be uh, a little uh, egregious, a little uh, bothersome, a little you know, uh, offensive, the truth is the truth whenever you accept it. And that must be the the way that you we have the Democrats and these so-called uh, represent, representatives speak to us when it gets to what our message should be. We are just simply too civil. We aren't willing to call them out like they should be called out. Now, when you talk about the progressive forces on MSNBC, Rand Paul went to the floor with this filibuster, which was nothing more than a grandstand. And Ed Schultz called him out. Lawrence O'Donnell called him out. Rachel Maddow called him out. Al Sharpton called him out. Because all he was doing was preaching to the fringe who wants to vilify and demonize the government. You see... For the longest in this country, the Republicans have engaged in adversarial politics and the politics of demonization and vilification. If you are against them, you are against America. 
If you are against them, you're against the Bible. If you are against them, you have no values. If you are against them, then you are somehow other. You are somehow unpatriotic. It's all right for them to challenge uh, a John Kerry. And I'm no big John Kerry fan, but the man has three Purple Hearts. He has multiple medals of valor, and et cetera, and on and on and on. But it's all right for them to attack this war hero, just like it was all right for them to attack Max Cleveland. Well, you know, but the thing is that none of them, in my opinion, uh, are, are, are models in the same mold as Nina Turner. No, I, you're absolutely right. But I use that. I look. I use that as a as a very simple uh, analogy. When you get right down to it, she will speak to the she will speak the truth to the power. So will Alan Grayson. All of these other Democrats seem to be afraid. They're afraid of these people. They are afraid, even though they have enrich themselves, they are still afraid. And when you well, see them let me ask you a question. And and I know you're 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 a big proponent, big fan of Alan Grayson. But since he's returned to the House, which was in January oh, and while he while he was campaigning some horrible, horrible stuff has gone on in the state of Florida, and you don't hear his name called when the roll is called. That's troubling to me. And it's troubling because he has learned one thing. He has learned one thing. He sticks his head out, and he becomes the target. And if we all stuck our heads out, we could all be the target. But when it's so easy to attack and bring down one or two of us, and that's why. Well, we I mean, if you think about all the people that we herald as big progressives, loudmouth progressives, hard voices, uh, strong voices, powerful voices, uh, Kucinich uh, comes to mind. Um, Kucinich was never a supporter of. Uh, I mean, when you think about it. Uh, is Kucinich doing anything to raise the level of activism from elected officials in the form of Nina Turner in his home state of Ohio? Is 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 he supporting her and pushing her forward? Uh, I mean, I will tell you that I will take a month off. I will take a month leave. Uh, to go and work for Nina Turner if she ran for Senate out of Ohio. Well, I mean, I, I agree. I agree. You know, but but then you you think about Grayson and people like Grayson who have gotten their asses kicked, uh, and whether or not. That has been successful. That's what I'm thinking about. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to get into uh, this discussion. But, um, you know, John Kerry was 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 um, uh, my senator uh, here in Massachusetts, and 
I haven't been happy with John Kerry in forever. Um, however, his going in as state, I mean, being being nominated as uh, Secretary of State creates a real political uh, football game here, uh, a game of chess and checkers, chess to checkers. One side they're playing checkers and the other side they're playing chess in Massachusetts. Um, but, you know, nobody cried out when he was leaving. Uh, and 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 but let me get back to black elected officials. Keith Ellison was very bold and very brave last week or week before last. Um uh I know that India Declare had uh posted the video of him and his discussion with Bill O'Reilly. But you know what? That doesn't get us jobs. And one of the things that I'm not figuring out is that if Nina Turner from the state of Ohio can lift national issues and speak truth to power, why aren't we hearing them from congressional representatives from our community That should be a concern of ours We're looking at The highest poverty rate Ever Among blacks since Reconstruction And I have not heard One black Elected congressional Member Talk about some Specific legislation on in the national media, I mean it's almost as though these people wait, and Ed Schultz calls them, or Rachel Maddow calls them, and says, "I'm going to be talking about so and so. Would you come on?" That is not leadership. Leadership is them picking up the phone and said, "Ed, I'm talking about a bill. I'm trying to get sponsorship for." It's about this, that, and the other, and poor people and black people in poverty, and I can't get any traction. Can you ask me on? That is leadership. So where are they? You spoke of the congressman from Minnesota going on Hannity's show. And basically... Keith Ellison, and basically calling out Sean Hannity. Do you realize that for the next five days, Hannity spent his show berating, lying, vilifying, and demonizing Keith Ellison after that? Now, when he was doing that, how many of those congressional black caucus members stood with him? How many of those Congressional Black Caucus members said, hold on there, you're talking Muslim, you're talking Muslim Brotherhood, you're talking Sharia, all of that stuff he wanted to taint Keith Ellison with. When you have someone, and you spoke about uh, what these people are saying about jobs, let me clear one thing up. 
I don't care what they say about jobs at this point. It's not going to happen because Republicans will not allow it to happen. And and because Democrats are fighting on the wrong battlefield. They're fighting on the battlefield of debt rather than fighting on the battlefield of jobs, killing the tax loopholes for the corporations. That should be the only questions they're asking. When you get this conservative media asking them about the debt has gone up this and that, you, you, you do what someone like a Michelle Bachman will do. You stare into the television or into the camera and you repeat on the microphone. That may be very well. But we need jo- you keep the conversation on jobs. You remain, you keep the topic going about cutting the tax loopholes as the Republicans were advocating before the Bush tax cuts expired or semi-expired. Because had the president not caved, he would have gotten $1.2 trillion for the tax cuts. There's not enough fight going on on the, on the Democratic side of the aisle. There's plenty coming from the Republican side. It's a constant barrage. Everything one of them say, every time one of those characters says something stupid, vile, or lie, you hear about it. And the and the uh, media plays it up big time. How is it that you can hear about uh, someone like a Rand Paul push a hypothetical filibuster? When was the last time a drone strike killed an American on American soil? It hasn't happened, has it? But he ran it for 13 hours, and he was, and they basically ducked walked up to his zipper because he was on the floor for 13 hours talking about a hypothetical, talking about, uh, who was that, um, uh, the, the, the lady uh, who was against the, the Vietnam War, that they were going to uh, uh, send a drone for Just her? I her name today. Um, yeah, um, I'll think of it. Well, anyway, that was another hypothetical. You know, they demon, and that's a classic example. She stood up against the Vietnam War, and these bastards demonized and vilified her. You played the clip of why America isn't great anymore. And they ran down the list because we are, we rank 7th and 11th in education. I mean, we are not on top. We are, we do not. The only thing we command is in our minds that we are the greatest, that there is American exceptionalism. But the American exceptionalism has been blind to the middle class, and that's what this nation was built, and how it was built to be as strong as it is, is the middle class. We're in an age of globalization, and yet we don't see the importance of cranking up our manufacturing base because you have people who are writing laws being bought off by the corporations who would prefer globalization. Made in America means nothing. But they want to claim American exceptionalism. And when you get right down to it, we are still the biggest consumers on the planet. And yet we don't call the shots 
we dance to a different uh, drum beat. We dance to a different musician because of the people who are bought and paid for. Anytime you have a Department of Justice attorney general telling you that these banks are too big to jail, something's wrong. Anytime you have a HSBC bank who has laundered drug money and nobody's going to jail, something's wrong. And as long as there's going to be something wrong when we're in power, then there's going to be something wrong forever. Anytime you have a president and a majority house in the Senate who will agree with the minority leader to keep the Senate in pro-former session so that this president can't recess appoint his judicial nominee, they are protecting the courts and they are protecting the people who will make final decisions. Every time this president brings something and makes a decision, they run to the court. They run to the Supreme Court to overturn it. And yet he hasn't the guts to recess appoint the people that they've been blocking all of this. Well, Alpha, you know, you keep going through all this detail about what this one did and what that one did. And my question, every time we have a discussion about the, this dysfunction, my question becomes, America has this vast inequality that just didn't happen. It's been, as Bill Moyers uh, wrote a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, it's been politically engineered. And, and, and the question that I am asking, and somebody can call up here and help me with it at 347-838-9852, is this. Are we not supposed to be different if we keep working in the system that has been engineered toward infrastructure with inequality and not in our interests? Aren't we to expect that black elected officials will not work out in that system? I mean, damn, Alpho. We had better we had a bigger voice, a more powerful voice, a more clearer voice, a more focused black agenda before there was email, before there was internet, Facebook, Twitter, Uber social, before any of those things. I listen to India declare every morning, every morning, Monday through Friday at eleven o'clock is my my talk destination. And India goes through all these specific issues, and you never hear, and on your show as well, you never hear people thinking and acting outside of the box. If you are locked in a box and you keep doing the same things that keep you in the box, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. That's 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 my point of contention. But your point of contention is, I won't say it's uh, wrong. I'll simply say it lacks a reality that we. But simply... the reality doesn't work for us. Why are we? Why do we keep? 
why do we keep thinking that that is our reality? We're because not locked our, into their reality. Because it's closer to a real reality. Oh, now, <laughs> Alpha, come on, it's me. But wait a minute. A real a minute. reality, what the hell? Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. When you start talking about breaking away from the Democratic Party, leaving them there, then what do we get? Do we get what we already have? It's nothing. Well, you know, you know what? Breaking away from the Democratic Party and independent black politics is one of the ways in which we can do it. But there can be rebellion and resistance. I mean, it, let's take, for example, the um, – I, I don't even talk about the Black Caucus anymore because, you know what, they're letting everybody in and changing the tenor and the whole point. The Black Caucus was the first caucus. Uh, um, organized in the U.S. Congress. It was the first, and it was for supposed to be for black elected officials. But there's another point here, and the point is, why aren't they resist? I mean, these people represent people who the Democratic Party cannot live without. You understand? Okay, that's my that's the basis of my thinking. So why aren't they rebelling inside the Democratic Party? Because they have used the Democratic Party to enrich themselves personally. Oh, and wait a minute, Alpha. Come on. Yes, you're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons. But the thing is, it's not like that there, that there are not options if they rebel. You see what I'm saying? Well, I mean, let, let's take example for Keith Ellison. If Keith Ellison pushed against the Democratic Party's machine, do you think that Keith Ellison could keep his seat? I mean, that's one of the things that John Boehner is worried about, Harry Reid is worried about, uh, Mitch McConnell is worried about. Yes, I do. And so, you think, you, so you yes, think Keith Ellison could keep his seat? Yes, I answered, yes, I do. Now, let me explain. Keith Ellison can keep his seat for the same reasons that the Republicans in safe districts can keep their seats. For the same reason, you have a Michelle Bachman who has kept her seat. For the same reasons that you have those who do not, and, well, the blue dog. How do you think the blue dogs keep their seats? Because they are entrenched with their constituents. Their constituents understand who they are. How do you think a Jesse Jackson Jr. kept his seat for as long as he did? Because, like I said, the only way he gets out of office is he's found with a dead girl or a young boy. And he was basically found to be even worse than that because he was stealing. Other than that, he was reelected with over 70% of the vote. When you have people in the black caucus who have enriched themselves and who are just willing to hold their heads down and move along with the flow, with the crowd, and not stand up for their constituency, not speak truth to power, this is what you're going to get. You're asking me about how come the, the, the Congressional Black Caucus isn't more vocal, isn't more militant, 
is it more willing to stand up for the people who voted them in? It's because the people who voted them in, the majority of them don't vote. And the ones that do vote, they have their numbers. And they have them safe in their camps. So when you start talking about the Black Caucus being this something that the Democratic Party can't uh, live without, look at look at who you got. Look at who you got there. You've got uh, middle class black folk who are saying, well, I'm just going to go along with this program. And the Democratic Party has gotten me, has enriched me in this way. So I have a loyalty there. They have no fidelity to their constituents, to their people. They have no fidelity. So when you're asking me about why they aren't doing this or why they aren't doing that, I can't answer that. I can't speak for them. I can watch what they do and tell you, well, they're not doing their jobs. That's like asking me how come the FAA, the FDA, the SEC, how, that's like asking me why aren't these regulators doing their jobs? Why is it that the banks can get away with it and the food industry? And, the, and you know, when you get right down to it, you are asking about a system that has been broken for three to four decades just like the Congressional Black Caucus has been broken for decades. Even the election of the first black president didn't wake them up and snap and bring them around. We just had that Jesse Jackson Jr. Uh, re-election. 15% turned out. We have a problem in our community when it comes to the most important things that affect our lives, and that's politics. I don't profess to say Democrats are good, and we, but we know what we're going to get with them, and we know what we're going to get with Republicans, so we have a choice. And that choice isn't the Green Party. That choice isn't some separate. That choice is to try to change, try to pull them back to the left. And when you get uh, groups like uh, Move On and PCCC, you have an opportunity, you have a chance. Look at, uh, what's her name, uh, Blanche Lincoln. When it got to the point where they could no longer take her blue dog, her corporatism, what did they do? They primaried her. And then they didn't support her when she won the primary. She's gone. Now she's a lobbyist. I've, and I say it like this. The progressive should be the, 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 the progressive movements should be throwing the gauntlet down. Anyone who takes money from the NRA will feel the raft of the progressive movement for all Democrats. I don't care if you're in a gun state or you're in a strong uh, NRA state. Anyone taking money from the NRA is doomed. And that's my only that's the only thing I want to uh clarify here. I'm not in the Democratic Party or with the Democratic Party because they've been so good to me. I just know that the other side is so bad for me. 
Well, <clears throat> here is something that I've been advocating for a while. Our number is 347-838-9852. Is that if we continue to do just what we are doing, we are not going to progress on our own platform. And one of the things that I think that we ought to expect is that we have people who ask us for our votes to be smarter. We're losing. I mean, at the uh, I don't know if you caught Charles Blow's uh, uh, New York Times opinion piece today in the New York Times. Um, and for those of you who are listening, you might want to read it. Uh, Charles Blow has really laid out the absolute devastation that is going to come as a result of this sequestration and the secrets that you you, you don't you don't even know and 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 it and it's really interesting that he titles his opinion cry about the real wolf you know and he points out how all of us have become numb while the sky is falling hysterics is all around us because we hear it so often and it doesn't matter that i mean you know we got black people going around talking about well um we've been poor so long being poor some more is not going to hurt that is such utter nonsense because I also saw a report, and I'm not, I, 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 I can't reference it, Alpha, uh a report the other day which said that my generation at retirement, the baby boomers, the black baby boomers, are worse off than our own parents at retirement. Now, wait a minute. My parents had a good education, but I had a better one. My parents had some good opportunities, but they were limited. I had tremendous, I had opportunities that I I can't even explain to people what the opportunities were, that my parents didn't even understand because they were so... um, those opportunities were so foreign to them. I mean, and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that somehow my retirement future is less than their retirement future. I bet if I add up my assets and compare it to the assets that my parents held at the time that they retired and taking in uh, to account uh, the uh, some appropriate uh, statistical analysis around time and economy, 
I bet that my assets are less than theirs. And my parents never knew anything other than Jim Crow and post and early post uh Jim Crow. And here I am, an MIT graduate, a Boston College Law School graduate, and I'm talking about that I have less, a Wellesley College graduate, and I have less assets than they had. There is something so wrong with that. It's because, in my opinion, Alpha, we've been playing the wrong game. We have been playing the wrong game. And we've been playing the wrong game all the way we started playing the wrong game when we wanted to play the game with them. We had our own game going, even with the uh, uh, oppressive Jim Crow, even with the disparaged treatment and the unequal opportunity. We had our own game back then. But then when we we decided to play the game with them, because what we did was we began to try to be like them. And that has been a downfall. Well, but when you get right down to it, Janice, when you get right down to it, this is, has to be about... Well, I think uh, as as Big Wes, he always, you know, Big Wes is our uh, Georgia sage. As he's saying in the chat room, we need to w- wake the hell up. Well, that's it. Well, and that's the bottom like, line. We've been that sleeping. is definitely the bottom line. Always sleep. How many people have you heard Charles say that we got to wake up? How much? Are we, we've been in deep hibernation for how long? Yeah, but Alpha, you, you, you don't understand that we had a model. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that we're caught up in is that we had a Martin Luther King, we had a Malcolm, we had a Marcus Marcus Garvey, we had a solid NAACP, as Florence Tate pointed out to us last last week, we had a solid Urban League, we had OIC, many of you may not remember OIC, Uh, we had an NAACP Legal Defense Fund that was, was targeted to inequality against black people and 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 people who were victims of discrimination uh in race we had um i mean we've got a Wade Henderson who is buried in the politics of a board of directors in his organization that are trying to sing Kumbaya, and he has to deal with that. So part of the problem has to do with the economy of justice as we prescribe it. Do you understand? Am I being... The economy, everybody wants to get rich. Everybody wants to be a political contributor to MSNBC or current TV or to get paid for a speech or to get paid paid for a dinner or to get paid. I mean, look at you. Look at India Declare. India Declare comes on the air every day, 
Monday through Friday for two hours. She pays for her studio time. She pays for her website. She pays out of her pocket. That's the kind of sacrifice and commitment that we – India spends as much time on the Internet as I do, and that's – I mean, that's on a computer as I do, and that – I didn't think anybody – I mean, look at what what you do, what I do. I spend all my waking hours, with the exception of two dedicated hours that I give to – the man who lifts me up, two dedicated hours a week where I say, okay, I'm shutting the computer down. I'm not doing any any marketing, no seeing about blogs and Facebook and all that stuff. You come on the air two hours every Friday night dedicated. Anything I ask you to do for TruthWorks Network, you do. Uh I, I I thought Michelle was in the in the chat room. I, I look at Matt Johnson. He is one of the most brilliant men in America, and he does not get paid. And that is what I am saying about sacrifice and commitment. But you know what? All the people who who do get paid. When they come to town, we'll pay $150 to go hear them speak. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, Alpho. <laughs> Listen, Alpho, it's, it, it's, it's been great. Don't you forget, Alpho, that we spring forward tonight. That's on Bob. We'll go off the air in seven minutes. It's not going to be midnight. It's going to be 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, that don't bother me. See, I ain't got no. Don't bother you, because we're up no all night long I anyway. Got, I got a watch on my arm because I'm going. I want to watch on my arm. Going on fifty years now. That's the only reason it's there. I rarely even look at it. When you get right down to it, you can spring forward. You can fall. But at this point in my life, it don't matter. I, I lose. Sometimes I think it's Tuesday when it's Monday. I think it's. Friday when it's Wednesday, and that's the way it is. I really appreciate you joining me tonight because I I did need to. I I think we've got to look at this political landscape. We've got to look at a different model of our, our elected officials have got to be different because being different and standing our ground in justice made a difference without the compromise and the capitulation. And Lord knows, Alpha, all this looking at the White House, because the White House somehow has some magical dust that 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 the president can throw around. No president has ever had any magical dust, and if they had it, they're not going to throw it around. Uh, for all of you who are listening, Alpha, thank you so much. And for all of you who are listening, um, make sure you catch the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network on Fridays at 10 p.m. We do want to remind you to make sure that you pass the word about what we're doing at TruthWorks Network on Wednesday evenings. It's Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson, and he brings it hard, strong, 
concise, and it will make your brain hurt, but you will wake up the next morning and say, aha, I now have a better, more clear, uh, clarifying idea about the life that and the zone that I live in. And also, uh, for those of you who would like to read Dr. Matthew V. Johnson, you can purchase his books on Amazon.com. You can go to his WordPress page, and there is a link to purchase, to take a look at his books and to purchase them, and that is soulofire.wordpress.com. And our new program at uh, TruthWorks is Commentaries on the Times Radio with Playthel Benjamin. If you have not read them, you should go to commentariesonthetime.wordpress.com. He has written more than 2,000 essays about culture, history, politics, music, sports in America, specifically targeting um, events, people, personalities, uh, in black America, more than 345 essays on this president. Uh, he is a prolific um, writer with a steel blade for a pen. It's commentaries on the Times Radio at TruthWorks Network on Thursdays at 10 p.m., and um, don't forget that next week here we will continue this series on uh, Witnesses from the Bridge. Next Saturday night we will be featuring a rebroadcast of my discussion with Barbara Arnwine, who is the Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. She, too, was called and came to change a nation and lift up of people. On March 9th, Ruby Sales, the Executive Director, the SNCC and Civil Rights Veteran and Freedom Warrior, Ruby Sales of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia, will be joining us. She will be talking about her Freedom Warrior life. And a special note on April 10th, April 6th, I'll be joined in discussion with Dr. Renoko Rashidi, the life and work of a historian, historical researcher, and the world's one of the world's most prominent experts in ancient Africa. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Be safe out there. Don't forget that you have got to spring forward and to make sure you are honoring the women who came to change a nation and lift up a people. You've been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.
Okay.